Crime World is brought to you in association with Manscaped, who provide an incredible, complete men's grooming experience. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools and is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. We have an exclusive offer for Crime World listeners, 20% off and free shipping with the code CRIMEWORLD at manscaped.com. I remember getting a phone call from somebody who was at the scene. They were looking at Kevin Lunny's car on fire, but they didn't know where he was. I just thought, there's something really, really bad going on here. Greed is number one factor in this entire saga. Greed and power. And he's thinking, uh, you know, what he would give uh, to, to have it all back. I'm Nicola Talent. And you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. He was the one-time billionaire and the pride of his native Cavan, where a generation of workers shared the spoils of his success. Businessman Sean Quinn was said to have built an empire on a mountain, but always remembered his humble beginnings and was at his happiest sharing lunch with factory workers and playing cards with old pals. So what has it been like to watch the fall of the mighty Quinn amid the horror of the kidnap and torture of his former executive, Kevin Lunny? Who is the man with two faces? And what do his one-time supporters think of him now? Today, I'm talking to Sunday Independent reporter Rodney Edwards, who has covered the Quinn story for over a decade as a local who grew up under the legend of the business giant. He tells me how a generation of workers who once backed Quinn have now moved on from his dreams of a return to power. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Now, myth would tell us, and maybe you can tell me if it is or it isn't myth, that he nearly picked up a shovel and started this amazing, what is now all those industries on Sleeve Rocheen himself, that was hard graph. Where did he start, or what was the beginning of Quinn's rise? Yeah, I think it uh, very much. Uh, there's this legend that uh, he did start with one truck, and he saw the potential of of creating employment in this area and wealth. Uh, and in fact, that that is that is it. Um, he saw. Um, uh, Great potential in the area. I mean, where we are now in, in Sleeve Russell, this was bogland at one stage. Um, there wasn't a lot going for this area. Uh, there were certainly uh, very few jobs, and he did see, um, yeah, this 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 place has been. Um, that he, he saw this place as having the potential to to create uh, the wealth and jobs and. He started off uh, with the one lorry and and uh, and realised that uh, this area had uh, great stone, great uh, uh, soil, uh, um, great content, and and as a result of that, um, more jobs followed, and it grew from there. And what did he do? You know, what did he start with? What industry or what were the first ones that he started? Was it with the cement and the the glass? No, the glass was years later. The family farm in uh, Derlin, which is not far from here. Um, family grew up in Canali, a small village um, quite close to, to Derlin. Um, so he, he borrowed a hundred pounds, dug a hole on the on the on the farm, and realised that it was great soil in Fermanagh, 
Uh, and as a result of that, uh, got into sort of the gravel business, got his first lorry, um, started employing uh, his, 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 his first workers and uh, did very, very well with that. And it, it, it did take off because there were very few jobs in the area back then. That was in the 1970s, Rodney, so, you know, when he started. So you're coming into the 80s and the general recession, and I'm sure any sort of employment was just so welcomed. No, absolutely. Uh, but also, um, he changed the face of this area because this was, even where we are now, it was complete bog land back then. Um, so there was great, uh, great enjoyment. Um, he, he took great enjoyment out of out of doing that. He, he's told me in the past uh, how much he he loved getting stuck into that type of work and then seeing it uh, play out in in creating jobs and creating uh, wealth. Obviously, years later, that switched to insurance, glass, plastics, radiators, and a hotel empire around the world. And all the while, presumably, his. Um, you know, there's so many myths around him, actually, his his rise and all the rest of it. But um, one thing I had heard, which you can correct me, I'm sure, was that he'd knocked this very simple house they'd lived in, that the children went to the ordinary sort of non-fee-paying local schools and that they all of a sudden built this monstrosity. So while, while he was an employer in the area, the community all of a sudden realised his massive wealth when he erected that house oh yeah he built he built a, a huge house that he still lives in now um a very beautiful house uh, i have been in it uh this really lovely uh, avenue that uh, uh weaves in and out of of uh, of beautifully uh, trimmed lawns and hedges and and uh, it overlooks this great block um this man-made lock at the back of his house it's absolutely a beautiful house and yeah, I mean, it it uh, it came as a surprise, I suppose, to many people who who knew him back then, that from knew his background, that uh, you know, he would end up background. in this. Yeah, that he end up in this because it's like mansion. something from Beverly Hills, the house. Like, I mean, it isn't really it doesn't totally fit in to the area. And I always thought it was strange that when he built it, the kids were kind of no longer kids. They were at a stage that they were moving out. So it was really himself and the wife living in it. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a, it's a stunning house. And uh, he, he still has the family around, of course. And uh, he's got a number of grandchildren now. And, and uh, you know, they they would be there quite a bit. And, you know, you're, you're in the house and you're surrounded by toys. And it is very much a family home, although, uh, you know, it's, it's a little different to, to my house or yours, I'm sure. And you said this hotel was... The, the jewel in the crown from yeah so we're in the Sleeve Russell uh, hotel now um, and as I say uh, before this place was built this was just a bog land it was just ju- there were just fields here uh, and and he built this uh, humongous uh, hotel uh, known all over the world um, holding big big events uh, got a golf course it's got a helipad uh, it has an area where he used to keep his his helicopter and this was out of everything that he did around Fermanagh and around the world, the Sleeve Russell Hotel, where we are now, was his absolute favourite. And he still walks here nearly every day around the lake. He still enjoys a walk, uh, yes. Um, most mornings um, he could be uh, spotted uh, walking around the grounds. So you were working in Fermanagh for a long time, for more than 10 years, and at the particular time when everything starts to go wrong from um so just tell me a little bit about, and you're sort of, you're, you're semi-local. So what was 
the support like for Quinn? I mean, he was almost this godlike figure in the area. Yeah, well, I covered the Quinn story, as you say, for, for more than 10 years, and I was very much embedded in it. Um, I used to work at uh, the Impartial Reporter newspaper in Enniskillen, and I can remember being there the day that Quinn Insurance was placed into administration, and the shock, uh, not just in the newsroom, but in the community, that something like this would happen. Uh, and my, um, uh, even my experience of, 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 of Sean Quinn and, and his story it was was even quite limited back then. And all I uh, had really was uh, this knowledge of, of a man who had given so much to the area. I'd grown up listening to stories from my father. Um, I remember Sunday drives, he used to come out here and we would look at all his lorries. And um, my father and I would stand uh, in Derlin or Ballyconnell and we would look at, at the Quinn Empire and we'd, we'd look at all the green lorries. And it was fascinating. So then to actually work on anything to do with Quinn, uh, I just found uh, very intriguing. Um, so the whole uh, insurance and, and, and the, the company then started to fall apart. And I found myself in the middle of all of this trying to, to make sense of it all. And I can remember uh, there was a, an election on that particular period of time. Uh, so there were a number of rallies on. Some were political, uh, some were community rallies. But there was very much this sense growing and building in the Framan area that, uh, you know, how dare, how dare this happen in Dublin? How dare they do this? Right. And, 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 you know, they don't care very much for, for this area um, and what all, and what Sean Quinn did. And it really was as a, a black and white as that back then. It was, you know, this is absolutely terrible. This should not have happened. Uh, and how dare they? Um, but obviously it was much more complex uh, than that. And uh, what uh, some people, um, not everybody at the time, but some people uh, soon realised that this was uh, an issue that Sean Quinn had created himself, um, that greed got the better of him, and that there wouldn't have been this situation without, uh, without uh, uh, the issues that he had created. Uh, now, he would dispute a lot of that, but at the time... Um, that realisation must have been a long time coming, because back when you were talking about... I remember seeing pictures of those rallies, and there was... Hundreds oh, there of people. Were, yeah, yeah. No, there were, not, not everybody supported Quinn at the time, uh, but a huge amount did. And I remember covering those rallies um, and hearing uh, from speakers on the platform, uh, including uh, Sean Quinn's brother, Peter, who just believed that the entire thing was, was a scam and that this should not have happened. Uh, and I could feel, uh, I'm sure you could feel it too as a journalist, uh, you could almost see um, certainly the two perspectives, north and south, you know, I remember covering one of those rallies and reading a, a tweet from a, from a journalist in Belfast that, that said, uh, oh, the peasants are out again supporting their man, you know, in, rela in relation to local people who are out supporting Quinn. Um, and I remember as well uh, people, um, uh, commentators and others, uh, challenging that narrative in Fermanagh that, you know, what on earth are you doing supporting this man? He's created this problem. What, what are you doing? Um, and as I've said many times before, huge support uh, for Sean Quinn in the area, and that's simply because, as we've said already, uh, it was all to do with the, the jobs he created, the wealth he created, and the fact that he changed this area. Uh, but hindsight's a wonderful thing, uh, but so is the passage of time. And in the passage of time, uh, and over the many years that have followed since I did that first story, Perspectives have changed and opinion have changed and Sean Quinn does not have the same level of support as he did 
back then when people were shouting his name in the streets. So this is the village then, all those years ago that I used to come and, and I used to report on, on those rallies and this street would be filled with people and they would be marching from the very bottom right up the street here. Quinn and the family would be following them up to a platform just at this corner. I can remember being here so many times and witnessing the, uh, those incredible scenes. So just yeah. weave around this corner. Yeah. As an outsider, I would suggest that it's gone in completely the other direction and there are, you know, a minority of people that still support him, maybe? Am I wrong? Um, I think people are getting on their lives. Back then, a lot of the uh, support um, was for what he did for the area, but also it came from people who were worried about their livelihoods, who were worried about putting food on the table and paying bills because they needed their jobs. Um, because... Uh, Back then, nobody knew what way the companies were going to go. You know, were the factories going to close? Was the insurance company going to close? And all those jobs would be lost. So that was a great motivation back then for people to get out in the streets because they were just worried about themselves. But as we've seen, um, the business is doing very well. The companies are doing very well. And those, mostly those jobs have been retained. And that is good enough for people. So, yeah, and look, we can all understand that, the fear of losing the jobs and not being able to feed the kids and all the rest of it. But I think for, you know, a lot of people, when they started totally engaging with this story was when the criminality started. And um, that was going back to, what, about 2011? Yeah, and again, I can remember that very well. It usually happened towards the end of the week, and I'd be sitting at home after a busy week in work and I get a call something has happened in Gerlin and I'd go off with with a colleague um, and some of the scenes were just unbelievable you know I can remember uh, being there uh, when a bus had been burned out I can remember being there when uh, another vehicle had been crashed into the entrance of one of the, the companies and just being there and smelling the smoke or seeing the flames uh, and it was an astonishing situation and it was mainly aimed at uh, those who were um, yeah, keeping the company going after, had, after uh, Quinn had lost it. And it was, uh, I suppose, a, a real campaign of intimidation to try to get them out of there. And like, in the early days, did it look disorganised? Did it look as if it was just supporters? Or was there an element, I mean, as a, as a local and... Um, you know, one of the main reporters that's worked on this story from the beginning, were you aware that this was an organised campaign? Um, I suppose when you take a step back uh, and see it all, I mean, there were over 70 attacks. Do you see similarities with some of them? Like, for example, very early on, there were, there were a number of uh, electrical poles cut down, and that was relentless. That was... There was a lot going on back then. Uh, that was happening uh, quite often. It was leading to power cuts in the area, power cuts in the company, um, and causing uh, uh, a great disruption. But it went from cutting down a few poles to, as I say, crashing vehicles into the side of buildings and, and setting them on fire. So there was certainly uh, a realisation back then that there was certainly a sinister element to, to many of those attacks. And... From your perspective, were the people who were worried about their jobs initially just 
sort of not turning a blind eye, but they were just ignoring it and getting on with things. Yeah, well, I do remember there was the, the sort of the violence, if you like, that, that uh, you know, that we've just talked about, but there were also those protests and rallies. I can remember as well headquarters being uh, filled with protesters, and there are some incredible images uh, that I can still recall of of protesters with Quinn posters, you know, saying, uh, bring back Quinn. And they're storming the offices and they're sitting in his office, sitting in his old chair. And it was just, uh, you know, some of the most incredible scenes. And those people were um, there trying to, I suppose, uh, 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 build support for Quinn. Well, at the same time, these attacks were happening. And uh, yeah, I mean, most people thought they were absolutely horrendous. But there, were, there was, of course, a minority that were seemed to be quite happy for them to continue because I, the idea back then, I think, from, from looking at what was going on was that all of these people, all of these attacks were, were aimed at trying to get rid of those who had taken on the company. So a lot of the residents around here, or people around here, are employed in former Quinn companies. That's right. But also the majority... Well, a lot of them, uh, yeah. but also a lot of the, the houses that you see around here would not be here without the employment that had been created. Yeah. This was all bogland. Right. It's hard to imagine what it would have been like. And if we look now... Absolutely, but if we look now, then you can see this uh, these incredible scenes where there's just uh, factory after factory. Uh, you'll see just after this shop um, where the, the empire really starts and it straddles the border so you're now going from the south into the north and on the left you can see the cement factory where it all started oh yeah all those years ago that can, was the first yeah. and then we have the packaging factory here on the right and then other factories insulation uh, all branded Manok now yeah and they stretch for as far as you can see So, did you notice a fall off in support for Quinn pre, say, 2014, when he was brought back into the company after the former directors came together and bought out a portion? Or was he still riding high on a wave of support in the area up until that point? Well, he certainly had a lot of support uh, when he returned to the fold. Um, and again, I was there the day that he returned and there was lots of excitement from uh, those uh, employees to see him uh, back in. He came in holding a tray of drinks and he was handing out drinks to employees. They also, uh, some of the employees, uh, took part in uh, what can only be described as a, a spectacle. They got onto a cherry picker, removed the, uh, the sign that was there. There was a sign that had been put up uh, to replace the queue for Quinn. They took down the sign, um, reading Aventus, and they set fire to it. So there's this, uh, again, uh, quite the scene uh, of employees dancing around this Aventus sign that's on fire while Mr. Quinn's inside handing out drinks. You know, so uh, I was there for that. And again, it was one of those surreal moments in the, in the long uh, running saga. Um, but certainly, from that day, you know, and that's a case in point, there was lots of excitement that he was back and uh, most of the community thought, great, that's it. And then we did notice um, quite early on that the attacks almost just fizzled out. There wasn't anything. It, it seemed like business was back and, and that's it. 
Uh, but what we didn't realise was that uh, inside HQ, inside uh, those offices, there were uh, lots of internal wranglings going on. There were uh, disputes between uh, Sean Quinn and the then management uh, of the company um, and that uh, things were not good and the mood was not good. He maybe had greater expectations than they had for his future in the business. I always got the impression that they were happy for him to come in as this sort of overseer, consultant, but he maybe desired and has continued to desire to have to take full control and full power back. Yeah, well, he continually maintains that that was the idea, that he would be brought back and would, would run the place and that this was uh, his way, I suppose, of, of getting back the businesses that he created. The management would say otherwise, that that was never the idea, that we would simply buy it back and hand it all over to you. Um, they completely disagree with that. But he maintains that that's the case, and that's what led to some of those very early disagreements. And ultimately, it led to his dismissal, because they just could not agree at all. And the American investors who had helped secure this deal were not happy with with the way things were going and his contract uh, Quinn's 500,000 euro contract uh, was uh, terminated You must have known at that point that things were going to get dirty again I did because I was um, uh, as I say being being fed various things from all all, all different angles and I could sense that things were not good uh, on either either side of the camp and like, when you look back at being a boy with your father looking over this mountain and all that had been created in awe at Quinn and what, you know, had what became of industry up here, during this time, I know we're supposed to be completely impartial and neutral, but did you feel a bit of a sympathy for him and for what had happened? Could you see the kind of, you know, that side of it that this was deeply unfair or were you able to take in all that was going on perhaps in Dublin and the courts and everything else that was was showing us that well hang on this man didn't run his businesses very fairly yeah well I could certainly um, as a journalist I could I suppose and what I did at the time was sum up the feeling in the area and the feeling in the area at that time mostly was that he had been hard done by uh, that he had lost uh, all of the, the, the businesses and that uh, this was not good for the area, which it wasn't. Uh, at the time, there was lots of upset. Um, you know, I spoke to lots of families who were concerned about their futures, so I could, I could see it in that way. Uh, in terms of uh, any sympathy, my sympathy was, was principally there for the employees and for people who were worried about their futures. Um, I, uh, I suppose, on a personal level, was sad for him uh, that he had lost everything. Uh, but bear in mind, nobody really knew anything about him back then other than his business. Nobody knew what he was like on an emotional level, on a personal level. And the first time that I saw what he was like on a personal level uh, was when he was walking through the streets of Ballyconnell uh, on one of those rallies when there were thousands of people in the streets. And he was being led up to the platform and he was crying his eyes out in the middle of the uh, of the street. That's the first time that I ever thought, actually, there might be a, a human level uh, here. <laughs> you know, that's the very first time. Um, so, no, I mean, I, I've always 
had great sympathy for employees. I mean, I know lots of people. I've got friends and, and family members who, who have, uh, have worked in the company. So I know what it did uh, for the area. But I also know um, that this is not a straightforward story. Uh, and I know that uh, it's just not as simplistic as, as some might make out. Um, there are uh, very differing narratives here and, uh, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a story and it's a saga that is not going to go away even now. You know, this is going to take a generation to sort out. There are still disputes and still issues lingering and will continue to linger uh, for, for quite some time. His rise was like, I mean, I don't think it's equaled by any, probably any other businessman really. Um, in that he created so much employment, he was so highly thought of. But his fall really has happened more so over the last few years. And that's with these attacks and the criminality becoming dirtier and more serious um, since, unfortunately, since he was ousted again out of the company in 2016, culminated obviously in the, the kidnap of Kevin Lunny, which was just revulsed nationally and you know was was way further I think than anybody ever thought what was going on could actually happen. You had hired criminals brought into the area to do this these were not people who had this who were relying on, on, on former Quinn businesses to feed their families. These were paid criminals and sh- the reality of that must have been quite devastating for people here. It was really devastating. It was a, a, an astonishing period. I can remember that very well. I remember getting a phone call from somebody who was at the scene and they described to me that they were looking at Kevin Lonnie's car on fire uh, but they didn't know where he was uh, and that the talk was that he had been kidnapped. I just couldn't believe it couldn't believe what I was hearing. Um, I then made some calls. I spoke to a few contacts, spoke to a few people around Kevin Lunny and soon realised that he was in fact gone. He had been kidnapped and nobody at that point knew if he was alive or dead. I was just, you know, completely shocked by it Um, and then trying to work out what to do and in the end I decided not to do anything. Um, I thought it was uh, absolutely ultra sensitive that I needed to know if he was okay or not before I could, you know... So you nearly gave yourself a news blackout on it? I did. Uh, I did because I, I, I was working at the local newspaper at the time and I thought the worst thing that I could do right now is, is, is say too much about this because nobody knew if he was alive or dead or if there was going to be a ransom or... Do you know, it, it was just a, such a, 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 an awful moment. Um... And then I, I, I remember speaking to one of the QIH uh, men uh, who informed me that uh, the guards had just been at his door to make sure that he was okay. Uh, and I just thought, there's something really, really bad going on here. A couple of hours later, I then got the message that, um, I think if I recall, it said something like, uh, he's been found, he's okay, just very shook up. And then, of course... As time progressed, uh, you know, in the next day or two, we, we soon found out the extent of just how bad it was. And the entire community was absolutely appalled by it. And I covered uh, a number of things in the days that followed, including a, a service for, for Kevin at his, at his local church in Canole. 
um, and I remember it was very intense. There was this very intense atmosphere in there. Uh, the community had gathered to show their support for, for Kevin, but they were just all so appalled and so sickened by what had happened. Now, obviously, Sean Quinn has nothing to do with this, has denied any involvement whatsoever in any of it, um, but has recognised, I think, that a lot of this criminality was done in his name because by people who felt he'd been very hard done by. That's his stance on it. But we're not saying or suggesting in any way, shape or form he's, he has anything to do with it. But did the tide turn at that moment, at that time, against him in the locality? Oh, absolutely. And, and I think he would be the first to, to, um, to say that, that uh, people did look at him a different way, did, uh, did make various uh, allegations and, uh, against him uh, at the time. Um, depended on him and he, you know, repeatedly and continues to deny that. And there was certainly, um, certainly a feeling of, of disgust that anyone could carry out such an attack on, on Kevin Lonnie in the name of, of Quinn. So if we were to simplistically put it that he had a rise and a fall, that would be the tipping point for him. Would you see it? Yeah, I, I think you're probably right. Uh, that was a, a pretty low moment for, for him, given that um, it was widely believed and still is that that this was carried out in his name. Uh, and I know it appalled uh, not just him, but his entire family. And then we're coming up to the headquarters. So this is where uh, the management will meet and where the offices are. And on the opposite side is the former canteen. And that's where he used to cross the road over uh, from the HQ to the canteen and, and have lunch with the workers. And at one point, wasn't there a truck or something driven through the doors of this headquarters? There was, yeah. Well, the there, were, there were many, many attacks along this road. Yeah. So here we have HQ. Mm -hmm. And his former office is there somewhere at the his front. former office is at the, the first building. Yeah. Uh, and as you can see, uh, there are security barriers up now. Yeah because of uh, some of those incidents and attacks. And up above us on the mountain are the wind farms. And the wind farms are on the mountain and the wind farms are on uh, either side of the border. And again, they're, they're, quite, uh, they're, quite an amazing, uh, they're quite an amazing scene to see. If we turn left now, Go we're to Herc Road. driving towards where the, the glass factory is. Glass factory is no longer owned by uh, anyone uh, who is currently involved in, in those businesses. It's owned by a Spanish company it's called Ensorc, just to the right. Yes, I see the big sign. So here at the, the glass factory, this was once owned by Quinn. Uh, this again was 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 a huge deal mm. for the area when it got going. Um, very very successful. I was called here many times over the years for incidents uh, that occurred uh, inside. Um, but this is enormous. I mean, I'm not sure words could describe the scale of this. It looks to me like about 10 factories all joined together. Yeah. Um, I recall at one point there was a, 
an attack on this. Something was put into the the stone or whatever that makes the glass. They had put some sort of a somebody had put something into it and it was going into the system and the whole factory had to be closed down. Yeah. You know, it was a lot of it was corporate sabotage, wasn't it really? There was a lot of sabotage over the years and even uh, a number of electrical poles were were cut down in in those very early days and that was all sabotage because that had a knock-on effect on the factories and on the local area. And there were spikes on the road, so as the tyres of the trucks would be damaged and that would slow up production and... That's right, yeah. And in addition to that, uh, and something that actually continues to this day, there were a large number of posters uh, erected and signs erected in the vicinity uh, calling on the current management to step down, making lots of defamatory remarks about the likes of Kevin Lunney, Liam McCaffrey, mm. John McCartan, um, remarks that they, you know, obviously take issue with. Um, but that still happens today. I mean, even as we, we drive around this area now, not far from here in Canole, which is the village where Kevin Lunney uh, lives, uh, there's a sign uh a very sinister sign um, with uh, defamatory remarks aimed at him and his up? colleagues. It's up there today. And why didn't they take it down? Who knows? This is an issue that's been raised with the police on both sides of the border uh, for some time, and it's something that really irks, uh, understandably so, uh, the management of mm. of, uh, of Manic, as they're called now, and um, that they believe that the police haven't been taken things like that seriously enough so what's the position now here with Quinn and he continues to um, in an interview in your own paper the Sunday Independent this weekend he suggested that he was the victim and he continues to suggest that he should be placed back in in charge of all those companies. I mean, it, it just, the mind boggles a little bit at this stage with yeah. it. Well, look, the, his position hasn't changed one iota uh, in the last 10 years or so. He continually makes out that he's the victim. He continually uh, comes out with these very defiant statements. He continually talks about his businesses as if they're still his, which they're not. And he wants desperately to to get back in. But that's not going to happen. Um, that will uh, continue to frustrate the current management, uh, but he um, he's not going anywhere. You know, he, he would love, dearly love, to be back in the, the, the driving seat and to control everything, but it's just not going to happen. And do you think he is alone now in believing that that is either a possibility or that, you know, it's still a desire? Is he, is he the last man standing with that dream? Well, he still has support, although it's not anywhere near the numbers that we we saw many years ago. He still has, has, has a network of people who, who would support him uh, and has the friends and family who do as well. Uh, but yeah, uh, he would be uh, one of the last, I suppose, to, to believe that there's any chance that he might get everything back. And I suppose if we were to look into his head, I'm not quite sure what we would see, but uh, one can only imagine that uh, he is thinking back over the years of all of these uh, businesses and, and companies that he created uh, in this area. Uh, you know, we're sitting here in Slave Russell, 
this was once bog land. He lives next door. I'm pretty sure that when he passes this beautiful hotel, he's thinking of, uh, you know, this was his favourite uh, entire empire, and he's thinking, uh, you know, what he would give uh, to, to have it all back. It's all still, every time he comes out the door of his house and drives left, everything he's lost is in front of him. Yeah, and only if you're here do you actually understand just what that is. When people say, what is the, what is the Quinn Empire? Can you, can you describe it to me? And it's only when you're here and you see, you know, you're going down the road and you see the, the cement factories on the left and you look on the right and you see the, uh, the, the plastic fa- factories, the radiator factories. You come in and, uh, into Derlin and you're passing the headquarters um, and you see the little canteen. There used to be a canteen on the opposite side, which is it's, it's something else now, but that canteen is where he used to go. So he used to walk from HQ uh, right across the road to the canteen and he used to have his lunch with the workers on an average day. Uh, and, and that's all part of uh, Quinn folklore now, but that, that's the type of person that he was and that's when times were good. And having met him a few times over the years, like um, you described seeing, you know, maybe the man underneath this businessman shell and he was crying... What sort of a guy is he, or how have you found him? Well, I suppose there are two sides to Sean Quinn. There's the very, um, uh, very serious businessman that thinks about the companies, thinks about uh, the finances, thinks about figures all the time, and is actually quite uh, does that quite intensely. Um, uh, just. He's, just, he's a numbers guy so you could be sitting with him and he'll try to explain something to you and you'll have absolutely no idea what he means but he knows what he's talking about um, or so he says uh, but then on a personal level very charming guy, very funny uh, very friendly uh, very family orientated absolutely loves his family and his grandchildren uh, and his siblings very close to his sisters uh, very close to the community um, was big into his church but isn't now um, uh, given uh, you know the reaction to the to the Kevin Lunny uh, abduction um, he uh, now um, would stay very much at home on a Sunday instead of going to, to church but no he, he family and faith does he in the community then to a certain degree, uh, he, he did it the, uh, in the immediate aftermath of the Kevin Lunny attack. He felt shunned. I'm not sure how he feels now. So in a way, the the house and maybe this hotel and the grandeur of it and the, the columns going up and, you know, the cornicing everywhere and it doesn't tally with when you look at Quinn he looks like an ordinary guy and in some ways he behaves like an ordinary guy playing cards in the local pub and going for his solo walk in the morning or whatever and yet these places he lives in are something different aren't they so maybe they're a manifestation of the two Sean Quinns that you talk about yeah yeah no absolutely Um, because as you say he's probably more comfortable sitting having the card game than he is sitting, uh, drinking tea and eating scones with jam. You know, uh, that's just the way he is. And lots of people dispute that. Said, oh, but you're lucky he was a billionaire, you know. But I think at the end of the day, he, he is a lot more comfortable um, just chewing the fat with locals about local issues. 
Did he enjoy his money or did he like stockpiling it? <laughs> well, the house is an indication that he enjoyed the money. The the, the helicopter he had, the, the jet he had, uh, the lifestyle that he had, the, the, the lovely cars that he had. Um, so he enjoyed spending it, no doubt about that. And none of us can really see the future, but where do you think, or what do you think is next for for Sean Quinn? Or do you think he's where he's going to be? He's somewhat maybe always going to be connected with this awful crim- criminality, this awful crime on Kevin Lunny, despite his, the fact that there is no evidence he'd anything whatsoever to do with it and that he's denied, uh, you know, being involved in it. Do you think he will always be connected and, and that's how he will eventually die with, with that still attached to his legacy? Yeah, I think... Um to a certain degree his reputation probably in some parts is completely in tatters um, even locally um, I do think he uh, deeply regrets a lot of things in his life and I have asked him that question directly before um, and he does have regrets um, I think he got far too greedy and again he would admit to that and that was a, a huge part of his downfall in terms of where we go now um, I can't see it changing for him, really. Um, he's not going to get his businesses back. He may start other businesses and get involved in, in different types of businesses, but I can't foresee a time when he's going to be back in charge of his empire. Um, personally, though, aside from Sean Quinn, the person, I am probably more concerned as, as someone who spent so much time in this area over many years about what this means uh, for the area, um, just the period that we're in. Um, I do think, and I've said it before, it will probably take a generation to sort out. Those disputes and those um, issues that have emerged over the years um, will not be resolved uh, anytime soon. Uh, there are still uh, those problems in the border region. There's still the, the, the pro-Quinn, the anti-Quinn sentiment. Uh, the pro-QIH, the anti-QIH, um, and I just don't think it's going to be solved anytime soon. You speak about it in the same way I would about a feud, mm-hmm. and in a way it is very similar to that. It is, uh, it is a feud, um, and there are people who are uh, pro-QIH and pro-Quinn that simply will never, never get on. Um, but as I say, there are so many strands to this story. It's not, it's not simplistic, it's not straightforward, and it will be a long, long, long time before any of it's resolved. But at the heart of it, Rodney, maybe is the crime or the sin of greed? Greed is the number one factor in this entire saga. Greed and power. Rodney Edwards, thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. If you like the podcast and love true crime, why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe.
Crime World is brought to you in association with Manscaped, who provide an incredible, complete men's grooming experience. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools and is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. We have an exclusive offer for Crime World listeners, 20% off and free shipping with the code CRIMEWORLD at manscaped.com.